from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Oh, hell yes. We are here in yet another lightning round episode of the Badass Counseling Show. So great to have you here. Before I get started, I have to say we hit a milestone today. Our podcast has been out for exactly two weeks and three days, and we just crossed 10,000 downloads across all platforms, and we hit number nine, hit the top 10, number nine in the Apple Podcast mental health field. So it seems to me uh, the show's kicking ass, which is Thanks to you people and your questions and you guys grilling me and giving me your problems, trusting me with your problems, and uh, and we're working together, and there's a great relationship. I love having my followers. Uh, we are live tonight uh, in this uh, lightning round taping where I am live online taking live feed questions from people tracking the podcast and then my producers are in-house. I've got Rob over on Logistics. Say hello, Rob. I'm here, ready to go. That's my man. That is my man. And I've got KC over in the booth, always keeping an eye on things, making sure everything's running smoothly. And I am Sven Erlinson. It's great to have you on the Badass Counseling Show. And we're going to get cranked up here with questions. And Rob, if uh, you're ready to go, he's ready to go. Here we go. So what do we got for uh, uh, questions going today? All right. I had to leave to save me, but I am so sad and love him still, but I cannot get over him before that. Uh, it seemed, I, I had to leave to save me, but I am so sad and I love him still, but I cannot get over him before that. Basically, if you can't get over someone and you can't leave them, uh, a few things. First of all, I'm going to give you some quick tips for how to get over someone, how to let go of someone. When uh, my first marriage ended, I was heartbroken for a couple of years, and people kept saying to me, Sven, you got to let go. Sven, you got to let go. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? What do you mean just let go? Like, oh, okay, today I just let go. And nobody had a how. And one of the things I discovered in my own uh, depression, my own sadness, my own anxiety is one of the most powerful tools for letting go is to hold on as tightly as you can. To tighten your grip on that thing, to hold on to it until you're tired of holding on. And what I mean by that specifically is get out a pad of paper and a pen and start fucking journaling. Start writing letters to the person that you do not send. Save yourself the humiliation later. But the goal is to flush out all of the feelings, to hold on and to flush it all out simultaneously. I used to go to our favorite bagel shop that we used to go to together, and I would order an everything bagel with Diet Pepsi because that was her favorite order. And I used to go to the favorite park that we used to like to play at with our kids on the you know merry-go-round and all that shit, and I would go there, and I would keep going there with the kids till eventually it lost that. I was sort of exorcising the demons. I went to our favorite pizza joint a few times, right? I went on our favorite drive along the river, and I would do those things until I found myself doing them and no longer thinking of her. I was holding on until my grip naturally loosened because I had gotten all the feelings out. I had ascribed new experiences to those old places, those old events. 
but you have to keep flushing out the pain, pain, writing about your feelings, writing about your love, writing about your anger, writing about your hurt, sending the, or not sending, but writing the letters as well. So we let go by holding on. But then there's another question, and this is somewhat deeper, and that is very often we hold on to someone not because solely we miss that person. If you grew up being taught that you don't matter, that you're no good, that, the, that you're not worthy of love, that no, you're not loved, you're not wanted, if you grew up with those things, rather than getting love poured into your love cup, you got crud put into your love cup. If you were told you're no good or you're not good enough, you're not worthy of love, you're getting cow shit and rocks put in your love cup. If you got the message you don't matter, it's like somebody poked a hole in the bottom of your love cup. And if you got the message, you're not wanted, it's like there's no sources of love around pouring love into you. So what happens is if those things happen, then when you get into teen years or when you get into adulthood and you finally get someone coming along pouring love into you, even if it's just drips and drops, you don't let go. You hold on tightly. Oh, I can't let go of this. I've never had this feeling. Someone giving me love. Oh my God, this feels so good. I'll give you anything. I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything. Just stay. I love the love so much. And there's nothing wrong with that on one hand. It's human. But the child is responding, or the teenager, and now the adult is responding to a deficit, a hardcore fucking deficit. So then when that person leaves, when that person leaves, it's not just that you miss them. It's that you miss the fact that you had something that you had never had before. What you really had, and it wasn't just the love they gave or the sweet nothings in your ear or the gentle touch or the sex or whatever it might have been. What it gave you was a counter message. A counter message to all of the messages you had gotten growing up saying, you suck, you're no good, you're not worthy of love, you're not wanted, the real you doesn't matter, you need to just serve my needs. All of those messages got embedded deep inside of you as a child. And those don't just magically fucking disappear because you say, I'm an adult now and I'm tough. Bullshit. I, so, I work with the most successful of the most successful and I deal with and, and uh, work with the poor and the homeless and middle class and people all across the spectrum of life. And at any age, those messages are still there until you actively get them out. So what that means is when your lover leaves or when a friend leaves or when someone walks away from you, a family member, it's not just that that love source was leaving, but the counter message, the mere fact that they were present in your life acted as a counter message to all those other messages inside of you saying you suck, you're no good and whatever. So when they leave, you're now left alone and all those voices come rushing up into your head, pounding and pounding and pounding. And it's like you're out on the ocean and the waves just keep hammering you and hammering you. That's what it is to be alone. It's not alone in and of itself. It's what's happening inside of you. So if the problem in, is inside of you, then the solution is inside of you. But I'll get to that in a second. And the bottom line is what just left. So when that person leaves, see what happens with your voices? See, I'm no good. See, I suck. Nobody wants me. It confirms all the voice inside. But when that person is here, it's a counter message. And, and so all those voices go quiet. And you can't hear them, right? That's what happens because that person, when they leave, that is the, you're having to let go of the validation, the confirmation of your worth. If you've been taught your entire life you suck and you have a person in your life pouring love into you, staying here, being right here, their mere presence is validation, it is confirmation of your worth. And when they leave, it is the exit 
of the confirmation of your worth, which means you have to find confirmation somewhere else, which means you either bouncy, bouncy, bouncy onto the next person, or you actually deal with your shit. You want to know why? Because if you have messages inside that are telling you you're dog shit, guess what you are carrying into your next relationship? You got dog shit on your shoes. You got dog shit in your heart. You got rocks on your back. The reason your picker is broken is not because your picker is broken per se. It's because you were taught that you're an idiot, that you're no good, that your voice doesn't matter, that your feelings don't matter. That's what you're carrying into every relationship. And because you so crave that counter message, you will give up anything for it. All right, next question. Uh, this is from Obscure Exotics. I think my husband is going through some identity crisis and he refuses to be honest. Advise. <laughs> well, Obscure Exotics... My producers and I, we grew up in a different era, and if you say something, usually you say please, so that should be advice, please, but let's roll with it. That's me being a little anal retentive, I know. All right, I think my husband is going through some identity crisis, and he refuses to be honest. The question is, what does he refuse to be honest about? Are you implying that he refuses to be honest about perhaps some sort of cheating? If it were cheating, in all likelihood, that would have presented as the major issue, and you would have mentioned that, not identity crisis or not... Um, refusing to be honest. So he's refusing to be honest about stuff in his life. If you've, that says you've already confronted him many times, you want him to be honest, you've implored him to be honest, and he's not being honest. And so then it's really not about him or trying to change him, it's about you. And the question becomes, how long can you endure this? First of all, are you fully making your needs known? Are you laying out there what your truth is, what you want from him, what you need from him? I'm imagining you are, and if you are, then all you got to do is watch that person's response. And if it feels like it's not honest, if it feels dishonest, if it feels like this person's fucking with you, then at some point you're going to have a come to Jesus moment. Really, it's not about your husband. It's about you. And if your pain has gotten bad enough. All right, next question. How do you get over trauma bonds? Advice, please. Thank you for the please. That's so nice. Thank you, Char. Loves, herbs. Um... How do you get over trauma bonds? You get over trauma bonds basically the way I was just explaining. You get over trauma bonds the way you get over anything in life, and that is you go inside. You have to go deep inside. You're not going to heal trauma bonds or trauma wounds uh, by just trying to change your behaviors up on the surface. If two people are bonded because of shared trauma or similar trauma, you're not going to deepen that unless you actually go deep into what your own trauma is and the impact it had on you. So for me, it's what it always is. Start journaling. Go into counseling. And if your therapist is not asking deep questions like, such as, what the hell is really going on here? What is it you're most afraid of? All right, instantly, that question, instantly you are down at the deepest shit or pretty damn deep. What is it you're most afraid of? What's the hardest part? Tell me the story of your trauma. Tell me the stories. Now, there are different theories on trauma. I'm a former trauma chaplain. I'm trained in trauma counseling. I was a trauma counselor at a mid-sized U.S. airline uh, when there were uh, emergencies and so forth. I was the one that came in and uh, advised and counseled. Um, so there are plenty of uh, trauma counselors who have far more experience than me, but I'm not a complete neophyte, but I am of the belief that until the trauma is out of you, it's still in you. Until the pain is out of you, it is still in you. I am a fan of getting it out. I believe that. And uh, I've worked with people across the full spectrum of pain, all types of pain, all types of trauma, from war to uh, sexual abuse to rape to murder to and so forth. 
Um, and I'm a believer in getting it out. And you can do that in counseling if you have a counselor who's adept, but you can also do it yourself. And you do it bit, bit by bit, inch by inch, mile by mile, going down, asking yourself the question in your journaling. In my book, there's a hole in my love cup. I give you the tools. I give you the questions, but I also give you other resources besides ones that I've created. I give you other resources that work. I open my entire book with a book list and I say, you don't ever have to read my book. Just read these 10 books and do what they say. Not a one of them is mine. Take those 10 books, do what they say, do those exercises and you will experience profound healing and profound growth. But getting over a trauma bond between two people requires two people going into their own individual trauma and exorcising the pain. Next question. Here we go. When do I know if I'm being insecure or my gut feeling is correct? That is brilliant. I love that question. I get it all the time. Sven, how do I know if it's, it's my actual intuition or if it's fear talking, which is usually what your anxiety is, right? Or your insecurities or ego. It's some derivative of fear that I'll get hurt, that I'm afraid, that they might leave, et cetera, et cetera. And we've all got it. I'm not mocking it in any way. I'm saying, shit, I got it just as much as anybody else right? We're all human. We all experience insecurity and fear. How do you know the difference? First of all, if you have pain and trauma, as I was just talking about, from your past, particularly from childhood, then your capacity in pain that is still in you, if you have memories that have emotional charges attached to them, then your capacity to read your own intuition, to feel your intuition, is greatly marred it is obscured. It is, in fact, obstructed. Because all that pain creates so many uh, firings of fear, so many firings of anxiety, of sadness, so many feelings that are not, were not native to you when you were born. Your native state is communion with your own self. And so the task is getting all that fucking pain out of there, getting all those fears out of there, and most importantly, getting out of you the BS beliefs that you were taught about yourself. And that requires deep work. All right. It doesn't have to take forever. I work with clients. We get done in three, six months, whatever. But the bottom line is back to your question. How do you know though, if it's coming from a place of fear and insecurity, or if what's rising up inside is your actual intuition? And the way you know is A, it comes from a place of calm, not a place of anxiety. It comes from an energy, a feel the actual affect, how it feels inside of you is not one of anxiety, but one of calm. And it produces calm versus producing more anxiety. Okay? When it's your own voice talking, it's either going to produce a sense of enthusiasm and excitement for life, or it's going to produce calm and relief. That's how you know it's your, your own intuition. That You just read your own energy. But if it's coming from a place of uh, agitation or it's producing anxiety, it's not the authentic you and you're forcing it, okay? Because your intuition is a good read. But again, you have to get out all the crud from your past because that is what is blocking your capacity to feel your own intuition. And in fact, it's causing you to distrust your own intuition. All right, next question. Hey, Sven. Our house burned down after my husband barbecued. How do I help him release the personal guilt? I've encountered personal guilt before, but never a house burning down from barbecue. First of all, I want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. That, it must have been terrifying for you and your husband, and if you have kids, for your family. Um, it must be absolutely uh, upending and disorienting uh, for your entire family, for the both of you. 
Um, the bottom line is, I'm, well, I'm sure you wouldn't even be writing that unless you have already been assuring to your husband and telling him that you love him and, and consoling him in his guilt. And I'm sure the guilt he is feeling is not just uh, the loss of the house, but the fear that something potentially even worse could have happened, that a life could have been lost, uh, something along those lines. How do you help him release the personal guilt? In a way, it's just, uh, just like any other significant pain in life. You create safe space. There's a wonderful story uh, that I opened my last book with, and you know we've all heard it, and that is uh, in, in the celebration of the High Holy Days of Judaism that we're uh, studying right now in Jewish scripture, uh, and I'm not Jewish, but I'll steal from any religion, there's the story of Moses, the great leader, being up on the hill and encountering the burning bush, right? And in the burning bush, it burns up, and God talks from the burning bush and says, Moses, you know, he basically tells him, go down to Egypt and save my people. But before... God says that. God says, Moses, take off your shoes. This is sacred ground. In other words, tread gently. Walk lightly. And one of the biggest mistakes we make in our relationships is that when our partner is opening up, when our best friend, when our brother or uh, one of our children is opening up and revealing their deepest shit, their most sensitive shit, we forget to take off our shoes. We act like we're just talking about the grocery list, like we're just talking about our day when we've just instantly gone down to their deepest shit and you need to tread gently. Your husband likely has profound guilt, as you yourself state, over burning down the house, all right? And you're asking how you can help him release his guilt. You help him release his guilt by, first of all, creating safe space, by treading gently, being a calm, reassuring voice of love that he's still accepted and that you still love him, okay? In addition to that, encouraging him to go to counseling, encouraging him to start journaling if he doesn't already, because the bottom line is, as I was talking about before, until the pain is out of you, it's still in you, encouraging him to cry. If I, if I were in your husband's shoes and I just potentially lost uh, you know, someone I love, that I could have hurt a person more than just the burning of the house, and I'm not trying to trivialize the loss of your house, I would be terrified. I would be so ashamed of myself. I would be so sad. I would cry if I knew that I had jeopardized my family. Absolutely. And he has every right to feel guilty. But it's creating that safe space, but it's also encouraging him, gently encouraging him at his own pace when he is ready to go see a counselor and or to begin journaling. All right. Much more to come right after this short break. Are you finally ready to turn your life around? Finally get the clarity, happiness, and sense of purpose you've been waiting for your whole life? Then go to BadassCounseling.com now and get the international best-selling book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It changed my life. It'll change yours. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round, uh, taking your live questions online and relaying them and uh, my thoughts on them to the listeners of the Badass Counseling Show. 
And we're somewhat focusing on dating tonight, but we're getting a, we're getting a really cool mix of uh, all sorts of different questions. And I appreciate you guys' willingness to uh, go with the flow and sort of uh, play and go a few different directions and so forth. Um, hey, do you have any advice on body image? I, I'm guessing you're basically saying, I don't like my body or I, I have issues with my body. And having issues is, uh, it's a euphemism for saying, I don't like my own body. What the hell should I do with it? If you liked your body, you wouldn't be asking about body issues and body image. So do I have any advice on body image? Yeah. And really it's very similar, if not identical to what we were talking about earlier with regard to trauma. And that is find the origin it's like the movie X-Men Origins, you know, origins, everything is origins. Well, it really is origins. And that's why the best counseling is the counseling that goes deep, really deep. And by asking questions, well, where did that come from? Okay, well, let's say body origins, uh, or excuse me, body image origins, my issues, my self-loathing of my own body. Where the hell did that come from? There's an exercise in my book, there's a hole in my love cup, uh, that I uh, loosely call the messages exercise. And one of the things you can ask yourself is, what were the messages you received growing up? Either as a one-off or persistent messages. It could have been big, could have been small. And this is something I do uh, for a person's entire life, not specifically with regard to body images or body image, but we are sort of uh, winnowing it down here to body image. So the mere fact that you, I, first of all, I operate from the premise that when you came out of your mother's vagina, you did not hate your body dislike of your own body, body image, is a taught hatred. Self-hatred is taught. So that means somewhere between the womb and whatever age you are, 25, 45, I don't know, somewhere between there you were taught that your body sucks or an aspect of your body sucks or is inadequate or not good enough. All right? I'll share a little story with you. This is a personal story. I was actually uh, uh, telling this to someone today. Uh, the very first time I lost my virginity. Yes, we're having a lost of virginity story. When I lost my virginity, I was like a junior, senior in high school, and I went with my best friend, Dave, and we went to, uh, and I think we met up with John, our third best friend, and we went to uh, the drive-in, 100 Twin. And uh, Dave's girlfriend was there. She was from a neighboring city, and she had a friend in from out of state. And, well, Minnesota in summertime is just hot as fuck and so humid. And so back then, when a lot of people, and this is like 70s, 80s, right? Mm, early to mid 80s. People didn't, not a lot of people had air conditioning, right? And so what people would do, some people would do is they'd put beds out on their porch, a screened in porch, so that you could be outside and sort of have a breeze and it would cool down faster and so forth. Well, after the drive-in, uh, Dave's girlfriend invited us over to her place and her friend, they had two beds. Dave's girlfriend uh, had, family had two beds out on the porch. And uh, Dave and his girlfriend were one, and then I climbed in with his other girl and uh, proceeded to lose my virginity. The interesting part, um, beyond the losing of the virginity, which was quite interesting for me, and probably quite boring for her, but uh, the interesting part is, at, yes, <laughs> I'm sure I talk about this in one of my books already, so I, this, not, this is not some grand revelation, although now I'm doing it in front of millions of people, but who gives a shit? Um, the interesting part is after I got done, my best friend in the whole world, I'd known him since I was a little kid. I love him to this day. And, uh, he said, Sven, slow down. <laughs> and they both started giggling, laughing at me. So literally from my first sexual experience, right? First 
you know, losing my virginity, I'm being laughed at. You don't think I had some fucking insecurity for like the next 30 years of my life? Or every time I had sex, I'd get nervous. Well, how am I going to do today? Am I going to get laughed at? Um, and, and that's just one drop in the bucket. Do you know how many men have uh, penis size issues? You know, fear that I'm not good enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not wide enough, I'm not good enough in bed, performance issues, you know, it's just, and that's just one teeny aspect oh, of body image, right, teeny. But it's there for so many of us. And what do you do? You, you begin by finding where the hell did that anxiety come from? Where did that self-loathing come from? What were the original voices or voice? Identify it, identify what the message is, and then journal around that because you've got a memory there inside of you and that memory is charged it's got emotional charges attached to it and those emotional charges have to be removed that's what it means when somebody says oh i got triggered what happened was you got that memory with emotional charges inside of you or in your love cup and some new experience came in that echoed it or that somehow got that elect those electrical charges to fire and you being triggered is those emotional charges pop 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 and so in order to be free of all the emotional charges, and it's when we're uh, amped up emotionally that we make bad decisions and that we can't see our own path and we don't have clarity. So what we have to do is we have to decharge, remove the emotional charges from our memories. So, and that happens by going back into the memories and exploring everything in and around those memories. How does it feel? What do I think of this person? How do I feel towards that person now? Um, what did it feel like back then? What does it feel like now? What's been the effect of that? Why does it bother me so much? All of these things go into decharging memories. And the more you decharge your memories, your energy comes down, you relax, you become calmer. And that's what it means to heal from trauma or to heal from body image issues. All right. So uh, moving forward, Ethan Zaragoza433 says, internally, I'm a very angry person when provoked. How do I release this from myself? Origins. You do it by journaling. You do it by going inside. There's, you, you weren't born this way. First of all, anger is a response to pain either past pain, present pain, or perceived future pain. Anger is a defense mechanism. It's a fighting back. It's a reaction. You've hurt me, and so now I'm reacting. Or you might hurt me, so now I'm defending myself. Anger is a response to pain. So if you're walking around very angry and easily provoked, remember what I was just talking about a second ago, that you have memories inside of you that are highly emotional char emotionally charged. You, those are inside of your love cup. Those are inside of you. So anytime some new experience happens to you, it, it fires all of those emotional charges. That's what's happening. And so when you lose it, when you go apeshit crazy on someone, when you, you go white hot from zero to 100 instantly, that's what's happening. Those memories inside of you that still have very strong emotional charges are being fired. And you can't fucking control it. That's how many memories that are highly emotionally charged you have inside of you. And until you decharge those, you're going to continue to be white hot. No one's going to want to be around you because you're a fucking hothead. So how do you decharge it? Again, you start fucking journaling. You get into fucking counseling and you start talking about the very shit. And you know what's going to come up? If you're an angry person, very often angry people take pride in being tough. The anger, the toughness is a shell. And if anybody's carrying around a shell, it's because they got goop inside. They got softness, they got fear, they got anxiety, they got all the stuff that makes them look, air quotes, weak. 
but it's not weak. And the truth is the only way you're going to heal from this and get through the anger is by allowing yourself to be quote unquote weak, is to allow that pain out, to allow all the tears, to go to those fucking origins that you've been avoiding, haven't you? You don't want to talk about that shit. You don't want to look at that shit. It's so fucking painful. You're afraid you'll lose control. You're afraid you'll be overwhelmed. You're afraid you'll never get that control back. But that's where the healing is. It's that, you know, you guys have heard me say it a million times, that great quote by Joseph Campbell, the cave you most fear to enter holds that treasure you seek. The key to your healing from your anger is going into it, finding the origins, find and allowing yourself to feel the pain and to purge that pain and to talk about that pain and to release the pain and release the pain until eventually it's gone. And it does go. It does pass. But you have to have the courage to go into it Courage is the very cornerstone of healing. Next question. Being overcritical, how do I move past that? Overcritical, overthinking, uh, overanxious, all of these are really uh, in the same family. How do you get past being critical? Um, if you're being critical, so let's say it's in a lover, let's say it's in a friend, let's say it's potentially in a career, how do you get past being overcritical? You're overcritical because you're afraid. You're overcritical. You're criticizing things. It's like, I'm only going to get into a friendship. I'm only going to take a job. I'm only going to get involved with this lover. I'm only going to let this person in my life if I know it's a 100% slam dunk or that 99.999% of the boxes are checked and I have to do all the examining in the beginning because I can't bear the thought of getting hurt again, right? Everything's critical. I tear So that, that would be overcritical when it comes to the notion of getting into a relationship. All right. If it's just overcritical in general in life, oh God, that's an ugly color. Look at that fucking dress. Another prairie dress. Do I have to look at more prairie dresses? Or why is she wearing that color? Or oh my God, what a hideous car. God, does this guy take care of his fucking car? Okay, whatever it is. If it's general overcriticalness, you've got so much fucking bitterness inside of you. You've got so much anger inside of you because you have so much pain inside of you. I mean, if you think about it, if you take a hot motherfucking cup and you fill that with the hottest coffee on earth used to be mcdonald's right till that whole thing went down maybe it's starbucks the hottest coffee just imagine that and you put that on a table that hot right up to the fucking brim and then you drop in one more drop of hot hot coffee what's going to happen hot hot coffee is going to spill over the edges or that table that it's resting on you just agitate that table a little bit it's some external agitation and that shit's going to spill everywhere except it's not going to spill everywhere is it it's not going to spill on, if you agitate that, uh, that coffee uh, table and it's got that coffee cup and it's spilling, it's not going to spill on Bill who is standing over in the corner of the room. It's not going to spill on Susie uh, who's out shooting hoops. No, it's going to spill on whoever is closest to that hot cup. It's the same way in your relationships. And that if you've got so much pain and anger and shit inside of you, that shit is going to spill out on the people closest to you, the people you claim to love the most. So how do you change that? How do you move past that? By going into it, by finding the pain and the hurt and how you were hurt, finding it, identifying it, writing it out, journaling it out, flushing it out until it's no longer there, until you calm the fuck down, until your pain is finally out of you. Next question. I'm too scared to ever get in a relationship again. And this is from Queen 75 Too scared, to, yeah, which, I mean, you're, you've already named the problem, and the problem is that you've had a lot of pain. Otherwise, you wouldn't be scared, right? Uh, so you've had a lot of pain in previous relationships, and because you fear being hurt again, you don't want to get into a relationship. 
and you didn't really give a question, but it seems that if you've been in relationships in the past that have hurt, clearly there's something about relationships that you like being in that drew you into them. It's just that eventually they became painful. And so if you desire at some point in the future to go back into relationships, what you're going to have to deal with before you go into them is you're going to have to get out all the fear and all the pain and all the crud. And then going in, and as you get that stuff out, you're able to read you into your intuition better. And so you see red flags sooner. And this is critical, people. When it comes to dating, your capacity to both see, to be aware of, and to acknowledge and act on red flags sooner is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between happiness and misery. Because very often what I find in my counseling, when I ask people, you know, uh, when did your, I I know you've been married 14 years. When did the marriage really start to fall apart? And they say, oh, I don't know. I say, take a shot at it. Change your mind tomorrow. We'll take a shot at it. They'll say, hmm, I'd say about six years ago, Sven, at about the eight-year mark. I said, really? Isn't that's when you were aware that you were really discontent? They say, yeah. I said, yeah, but if you're aware that you're really discontent, you didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm really discontent today. No, that had been building for a while. So when did it start building? When was the first sort of ping, ping, crossing your sonar of discontent in this relationship? And then it's like, oh, fuck, Sven. I suppose that was like the second. No, 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 Sven. It was, it was the first ye- Wait a minute. It was when we started dating, Sven. In other words, if I, if I push people to find the origins, to go back earlier and phrase the questions right, eventually what we often discover is that they were seeing the red flags. Now They see them now. There were red flags before they got married, before they committed to this relationship. So in other words, you saw them. Something inside of you was aware of it, but it didn't register and it wasn't acted on if it was repeated. And so one of the things that happens from all this self-healing work and all of this soul work that I do with clients and that I talk about in my book and in this podcast and, and the video courses and shit is that by clearing out the crud, you hear, you feel, you sense those pings on the sonar and you, you sense them, you see them, you acknowledge them, you understand the value, the importance of them, and you understand the importance and what happens when you ignore them. One of the grand benefits of going through a relationship that turns into an absolute shit show is you realize, holy shit, I want to trust my intuition sooner. The sooner you begin to trust your intuition, if you've gone down just the road to hell in a relationship, well, maybe next time you trust it when that voice inside isn't screaming in its outside voice, but it's talking in its inside voice. And then eventually you trust it when it's just a still small voice. And then eventually you trust it when it's just a ping because you know the fuck fest it turns into. Now, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more badass counseling. It took me to the place that scared me the most. The crap I've been running from my whole life. The stuff that's been dragging me down. And it literally began the healing. I feel lighter, clearer, and just happier. Finally, some freaking peace. You gotta get this book. There's a hole in my love cup. Or the do-it-yourself video courses. All at badasscounseling.com. It's totally killer stuff. What's the badass got next? I am back with the Badass Counseling Show. I've got Rob on logistics. I've got KC in the booth. And I am taking live questions online from listeners and followers. And I'm really grateful. 
for everyone's questions. And I'm grateful to everyone uh, following the Badass Counseling Show. As I said at the top of the show, we just hit 10,000 downloads in two weeks and three days of being on the air. And we're jacked about that. And we also hit number nine in the rankings of Apple Podcasts. Uh, in the mental health field, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, in that field, and we hit number nine in two and a half weeks. So I'm pretty lit about that, and uh, as are my producers, Rob and KC. I'm just taking uh, one or two more questions here uh, before we call it a night, and it says, I'll just wait until I find a chick that never hurt me before and genuine. Um, language is a little muddy, so I'm going to interpret it the way I think you're uh, uh, sending it out there that I'll just wait until I find someone who basically will, who's never hurt me before and who won't hurt me. And uh, I talk about this in a couple of my books, this, what I call the myth of the pain-free relationship. This goes to this idea of constantly overthinking, constantly gaming out when you're in a relationship. And it can be a friendship, it can be a lover relationship, a, a, a work relationship, boss, subordinate, whatever, that you're constantly gaming out. You're constantly gaming out potential eventualities. You're constantly overthinking. You're constantly being critical of the situation, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. Because what you're, the gaming out is doing is trying to figure out where this potential, uh, potential decision will take me and will it lead to greater pain or lesser pain. All right. And so when you're in a relationship with someone or starting a relationship with someone, you're constantly monitoring. And to some degree, it's important to monitor and just get a feel for uh, this person. But it's also possible to take that way overboard and be over hypercritical and overly um, uh, thinking about the whole thing. And basically what it boils down to is you're looking for the pain, the relationship that is not going to cause you pain. It doesn't exist. My father did this work, as did my mother, this soul counseling work that I do. And my father always used to say, Sven, in anytime you're in community, even if it's just two people, anytime you're in community, there is always going to be the bumping of elbows and the bruising of ribs. There is no pain-free relationship. All that exists is contrition and forgiveness. A contrite, to be contrite, contrition means that I feel bad for what I did. I hurt you, and there's no excuse, and I'm so fucking sorry. That's contrition. And true contrition, especially when it comes to healing our children, is comes even in the form of, I hurt you, and I know I did, and I want to know other ways that I've hurt you. I want to take those rocks that I put in that bag on your back. Every time we hurt someone, it's like we put a rock on their back. I want those back. Those are mine. I can handle it. I want those back. And true contrition, the ultimate contrition, doesn't even seek forgiveness. Because that implies there's some gain for me. Whereas true contrition is to humble myself before another person. It is to create a power imbalance. To give this person the power to hurt me. That's what it means to humble. When you felt bad, when you're in a loving relationship. Now, I don't recommend that if you're in a relationship with someone who has a history of kicking you in the teeth. Don't do it. All right? And you probably shouldn't be in a relationship with a person like that. But there is no pain for a relationship. What there is is there's contrition. And on the part of the other person, there's forgiveness, knowing that it was just a month ago that I was the one being contrite and you forgave me. And it's this two people making investments, making deposits into the emotional bank account of this friendship, of this love relationship, of this family relationship. Well, find people. 
This is the end of this lightning round. It's been totally kick-ass working with you tonight and hanging out with you. And I want to thank everyone for joining the show. Uh, and we welcome you back every week. Download our show. Subscribe to the Badass Counseling Show. It's been wonderful. And on behalf of my team, Rob and Casey, have a kick-ass night. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. <laughs>